Hello, Kapow. My name is Nandini Paidasetti, and I'm a senior and the visual media editor for The Sidekick, and you're listening to Plugging In Podcast. Today, we're discussing meditation and minimalistic lifestyle with the Kapow High School astronomy teacher to gain understanding of the true meaning of these topics. Yes, hi, I'm Angela Barnes. Um, I am the astronomy teacher here at CHS. I've been here for about, uh, I think this is my 15th year teaching in the same room uh, the whole time. And I've taught all different uh, science subjects, but astronomy is what I've been teaching solely for the last couple of years. And I love it. What do you love most about it? I love the subject matter, but that isn't really my, it wasn't something I was always interested in. I think what I love about it is that my students are so interested in it. So they come in, and when I first started teaching it and didn't know a whole lot about it, I learned from them. They came in with a passion and an interest to learn about the cosmos, and with that being the subject matter, it's so easy just to say, let's dive in and learn and teach each other. And so over the course of several years now, I still see that passion in the kids, and now at least I'm better equipped to help them and guide them through a pretty amazing course. So it's been it's been building off of itself for a while and it's it's in a good place what is meditation my understanding of what it is and I just want to start off by saying I'm very new to meditation at least this formal style of meditation vipassana that I started um, uh, practicing in June this past summer prior to that um, I did some meditation with an app just like many of us do where I think Most of us, including myself, think that meditation is just, you know, tuning out all the noise and all the distractions and just focusing inward on yourself. And so whether that means just, you know, if it is a chant or a mantra that you have um, that works for some, some do mindfulness meditation where they want to focus on, you know, their breath or sensations or sounds or sights. Mm -hmm. So I've mostly done the mindful type of meditation but there are so many different types that um, and now my students are coming to me telling me oh did you have you heard about this type or have you done this before or have you done oh it's like a past lives meditation that what? sounds really interesting she went into wow. a meditation and they walked her through like what her past life was and she vividly saw herself as a different person so that I've never done but I'm just saying like I think the possibilities are limitless yeah But I've fortunately found something that really works for me, so that's what I'm practicing now. What does it mean to you? The reason why I originally signed up to go on a retreat, and that's how I learned. So I was doing meditation with the app, kind of, you know, mostly falling asleep to it. It really was just something to to tune out everything and tune into, and it put me to sleep. I wasn't really meditating. A friend of mine for years have has been telling me about this 10 day retreat that I should do. Mm-hmm. And with COVID that got pushed back a couple of years, unfortunately, and I finally got in this last summer. The purpose of it is to see things as they truly are, not as you want them to be. And once you do that, you start facing um, unpleasurable things and pleasurable things for what they really are that you're experiencing in your day-to-day life. And so I think you asked me about the purpose. Mm -hmm. The purpose is to end or alleviate suffering. Because we all 
suffer in various ways. So it could be severe, you know, grief, loss, physical pain, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Or also just like that, just like chronic dissatisfaction that many of us have with life yeah. in general. And that's, I think, what I was trying to fix. Past mistakes, regrets, emotional baggage, things like that that I thought, alleviating suffering, that sounds so interesting. And I want to learn how to do that. And didn't realize how profound it would be. So once I did it mm -hmm. and learned how to practice it, I immediately saw results. And I'm, oh, I'm still three months, what is it, four months later, practicing daily and seeing a lightened load, like happier demeanor, like all of it is, it is relieving my suffering. Like it actually, yeah. that's why I'm so passionate about it now and want to continue mm -hmm. and have started sharing at least some of the techniques with my students on C-Day. So what do you do during that class? For, in astronomy, ever since we moved to the block schedule where we had these 90 minute class periods, mm -hmm. I've always done yoga and some kind of, you know, meditation of some sort. And I thought, let's just bring that into the classroom somewhere in that 90 minute period. Let's just mm -hmm. stop, put our devices down, if nothing else, and just put our heads down or get up and stretch or lay down and meditate mm -hmm. or something to take just for a break. So these brain breaks started years ago, but on retreat in silence with nothing else to distract me, I had a lot of time to think. And I thought, wow, how can I, how can I share what I'm learning right now with, with my kids? Because even though they can't do a 10-day retreat, I can still introduce them to pieces of this that is so profound and no. have been so moving to me. Like breaking question that everyone wants to know, is it hard to like just sit there and how did you like stick with it even though it might be like a little... <laughs> People that know me know that I have a tremendous willpower. I don't know where it comes from, but once I decide to do something yeah. I usually follow through even if it's hard um, is it worth it oh yeah yeah definitely <laughs> 100% so um the hardest part about the silent retreat I mean they they take your phones from you or I mean you surrender they don't take anything from you but you surrender like all medications that you're on unless doctor prescribed of course um you vow uh, not to eat afternoon so you're kind of like intermittent fasting but, um, you know, you really don't have you, no books, no cell phone, no music, no, so like nothing to distract you. It's just you and you're either in formal meditation or you're in informal meditation in your room by yourself. You've got a little bit of time for breakfast, for lunch, for, you know, taking a shower and those kinds of things, cleaning up. But the rest of your day, I think it's a 16 hour day from wake up to sleep. About 15, 13, 14 of that is, is meditation. So you end up with this nonstop talking going on in your head. You're just, your brain wants to stop. Mm -hmm. And so the hardest part is finally getting to a point where, at least for me, mm -hmm. I, I had to be like, shut up, stop talking, stop thinking. Like you're here for a reason sit and do the work. Quit thinking about how much you miss your sister and you wish you could talk to her, or like what restaurant you wish you could go to right now, and you miss your cats, like whatever it might be, um, and just sit and do the work, because I knew I wanted to be there. I'd wanted to go for two years. So anyway, once 
that that happened on like day three so the first couple days were kind of torture like it's like being stuck in a room going crazy with the thoughts that are coming into your head and for most people most of the things you think about are negative like the negative self-talk all the things that you tell yourself or the like the things like I said that I regret things that I wish I could go back and change things about myself I wish I could change like these were things that came up so it was intense but then once you learn the meditation technique and then you get to start focusing on your body and sensations in your body and you have something else to focus on um, it all starts to click and by day four it took till day four but by day four I was completely like the science behind it the technique what was happening to me what I was like physically experiencing all just kind of fell into place and um, I will now go every summer I'll go on a 10-day sit or more if I can um, because I learned so much and had such a profound experience that I want to continue doing it so yes it was hard but so worth it just like you said yeah now, how do you think meditation could be helpful for teenage students? I didn't believe it myself when I heard it, but I was told, and like this is, you know, a very formal kind of very disciplined style of meditation. I sit for two hours a day now, so I don't know how many teenagers would be willing to commit that kind of time to go on a 10-day retreat and then to learn how to sit for two hours a day. But even if it were for half an hour, morning and night, and they learned the basic techniques on a formal retreat or not, or maybe a two-day retreat, you know, for teens like that, I think what they would get out of it and what has happened to me is when I wake up in the morning, I don't wake up groggy and tired and like, oh, I don't want to, you know, just the things you say to yourself in the morning, like, I don't want to get up out of bed. I don't, like, why can't I just... And just, I... I'm excited to start the day. I'm more productive throughout the day. I have more energy and I need less sleep. It's weird because I've always been like, I like to be in bed like for eight or nine hours at a time with my cats and like that's my happy place. And now um, I'm finding that I might wake up at 4.30 in the morning. I'm wide awake. Why do you? Do you... Um, they say that when you're in formal meditation, your brain is kind of in the state of sleep as well even though you're awake you're meditating and they say the more you do that the less sleep you need because your brain and body are getting this is what they say like this again is all new to me that makes sense it's happening to me though like I'm waking up at 4 30 or 5 in the morning really like awake do I need a cup of coffee I don't like sometimes I drink one anyway but I don't feel (laughs) like I need it's not the same so what I guess what I'm saying is teenagers if they would put that time and effort in the amount of clarity and focus and and um organization skills like I feel like all that stuff gets heightened and if they can be more productive during the day and study more productively Mm -hmm. and have more time you know maybe need less sleep maybe for teenagers it wouldn't work that way because you guys need a lot of sleep anyway but (laughs) maybe need a little bit less sleep but just be more productive during the day when you are awake that's what I'm really seeing as a result of my practice thus far so that could help and just I think when you're in meditation and you are just sitting and breathing 
And if you can really learn to tune out the negative self-talk or any of the self-talk and just focus in on, on yourself, um, you know, it decreases stress and it decreases anxiety. And if that can become something that if a student can at least become aware, mindful, like I'm stressed out right now, instead of reacting to it, know to take that breath, maybe sit, close their eyes for a couple minutes, no matter where they are, like they could be in the middle of the classroom or in the middle of the hallway and just do that for 30 seconds, could even be 10 seconds, three breaths, could like change their whole, you know, their focus, yeah, Yeah. for, for that moment. And then they can maybe, you know, have a better, a better experience after that or a better mm-hmm. a better day or a better outlook so for the sea days is that what you do like do y'all just everyone who wants to comes in here and just stays silent we enter in noble silence this was the thing that i came up with on retreat and i'm oh. like i wonder if they'd buy it i wonder if they'd do it <laughs> and the great thing about my students this year is they're all they might not all love it but i think they're all game to try it mm-hmm. so on sea days we enter they enter in noble silence. So noble silence doesn't just mean not talking. Their phones are turned off and put away. Um, They don't make eye contact with anybody else. They don't, can't gesture, you know, like wave at your friend across the room or pull out a chair for somebody. You're supposed to enter as if you're the only person there. So it's mimicking isolation. So they come in, this is what we did on retreat for those 10 days. So they walk in in noble silence and then take a seat wherever they want. I literally have kids on the on the rug with pillows underneath the lab tables, in the middle. Like <laughs> they just like they're all over the place on the countertops, and they find a comfortable spot. And uh, once everybody's settled, and uh, we then I start and I've been practicing walking them through meditations myself. We started with three minutes. We're now up to ten. After 10 minutes, we ring our meditation bell to end the formal sit. I tell them to be happy, and then we go about our sea day. Then we look up you know, our calendar, and we get to work. But they've got those 10 minutes every week, and my goal is to build them up maybe to a 20 or a 30-minute sit one day, yeah. like later in the year. Everybody's so busy, and that's the biggest problem with it. Like Nobody wants to take the time to sit and do, quote-unquote, nothing, for 20 minutes when really if they do that their focus and like I said their productivity for the rest of the day would be heightened I think it would be worth their time but until they experience that themselves I think Mm -hmm. it's it's hard for people to buy in now moving over to like your minimalistic lifestyle oh sure can you explain a little bit about what it is how it's helped you and yeah I guess benefits of it yeah um, it's, it's a, it was a process. It didn't happen overnight. Um, when, when I was married and my son was at home, we had, you know, the standard house, like the four bedroom, the four bedroom house with the pool and the game room and the, the whole thing. And then post divorce, I moved into a small one bedroom apartment and that, felt cozy to me I got rid of a lot of things that I didn't want or need to carry over from that failed relationship so um it felt good to let go of some material things but then I found myself in this one bedroom apartment and still with a closet full of things that I never touched or used or looked at need um some 
made me sad when I looked at them because they were just stuff I had from the past. And I, um, so the process was just first just getting rid of things. And then I realized like even this one bedroom apartment is too big. So I wanted to maybe move into a studio apartment or something smaller, less expensive. And that's when I discovered tiny houses. Well, I knew they existed, but I didn't know I could park one five miles from work. So once I realized I could um, have one close by, um, it was only a matter of about nine months before I bought my tiny house, which is 250 square feet. Um, I really had to get rid of basically everything, including the furniture that I'd accumulated uh, after the divorce that I loved, getting rid of things to just make my life and finances so much simpler. So now I just live in this very small house on wheels in RV park and um, with my three cats and uh, I'm gonna have it paid off soon. So that's going to be just a huge weight lifted and money I can put away for my future. And that just makes me feel so much less stress. And when I talk to my other tiny home friends that I think is the biggest motivator, just not having a mortgage payment, not having so many bills, being able to really get out from under debt and stuff like that. So, but um, I found that the more that I got rid of, the light, I would say lighter, but just the happier and I felt less stressed, you know? Less things you have to worry about, the less you have to worry about. Yeah, I mean, we're high schoolers, so we obviously can't do what you're doing, but right. what's, like, something you learned from, I guess, decluttering or, like, a minimalistic lifestyle that, like, some of our Coppell high school students could use? Um, appreciating the things you have, you know, the, if you, if you, you know, what, I have a, a student last year who was addicted to shopping, and we just joked around about it all the time. She was always buying clothes and half the stuff she never even took the tags off and wore. And then she'd give them away, you know, and um, we talked about, you know, just buying what you need and appreciating what you have. And I think other students, I, I just I just feel like as teenagers, that would be a good place to start. Um, that comes up in Vipassana as well, just like um, the purchasing and limiting how many choices you have and limiting how much you have to um, worry about to kind of ease ease your day. The less choices and options that you have in a day, the more your mind is free to just be mindful and be grateful. So I think it, it, it would um, help with just yeah appreciating what we have and being grateful for the things we have if we're not always looking for oh what's a new thing that I want to buy that's going to make me happy because it's not about having things things don't make you happy you know relationships make you happy or you know again being just being present and being accepting of yourself is what's going to really bring true happiness or at least relieve the <laughs> suffering right so, yeah but buying a new whatever it might be uh just it's temporary temporary fulfillment and do you have any words of wisdom to any CHS student um I guess I would think the one thing thinking back to when I was in high school like 
is easier said than done, but try not to care so much what other people think. You know, just be yourself and love yourself. And if that takes, that doesn't just happen, you know, it takes work and patience. You have to be patient with yourself. You have to laugh at yourself. You know, you have to spend time alone with yourself. Put your phone down and just, you know, sit with yourself. Like, try to sit in silence for an hour without touching your phone and just see what comes up in your head. And if you find a common theme repeating itself, especially if it's negative, which a lot of times it is, like that's, that's where you start working. Like work on that and try to, you know, let go of whatever it is that's, you know, it could be certain people that you hang out with or certain things you look on at, at online that make you feel badly and, and it's just not necessary. None of that stuff matters really. Like, you know, how you feel about yourself matters. And so that could be what you think other people are thinking of you or just what you're feeding yourself. Like not just food, but that it's included as well. But like what you're, what you're looking at, what you're watching on TV, how much time you're spending on your phone. If you can be a little more disciplined to kind of tune into what's going on in here and here, yeah. mind and heart, then I would, that would be my, I wish I'd learned these things when I was 18 years old and not when I was you know, 42. So, <laughs> yeah. Thank you for coming on to our podcast. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for asking me. This was so much fun. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode on Plugging In. This is Nandini Paisetti signing off.